uh, welcome once again to another episode of Swing Thoughts. It's going to be cool because you can actually watch this now. And you're going to see O'Connor there. And uh, Mike Martz is standing by. He looks dreamy this morning. He's got <laughs> he's got the he's got the sun shining on his head. <laughs> uh, this is uh, I'm golf spiritual leader Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Now you can see my background. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Coach Tim and I have been doing this show now a long time. This is the official kickoff of our um, fifth or sixth season. Six. Really? Six. Six. Sexism. All right. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about TaylorMade for a long time, but today uh, launches the doing the show every week portion of the Swing Thoughts year. And uh, Mike Martz will be our guest. He actually is our guest now. He's seeing this. But we're going to introduce him formally in a minute. TaylorMade Canada. What a great lineup of 2021 equipment and all kinds of uh, game improvement performance. And JW Apparel. That's what we'll be wearing, even though this morning I got my TaylorMade t-shirt on. And I got my an old underarm. <laughs> I know, but you, you know what? You look, you look the part now. You look like the wizened old... Mental performance coach, I've seen things, kid. I've looked in the eye of some of the best players in the world. Uh, anyway, JW Apparel, we're going to tell you all about that uh, once we uh, you know, get underway uh, in the show. And um, yeah, we're really happy. want to just take a second and thank TaylorMade and JW Apparel for their support for the podcast season six. We're excited. We got a, a bunch of things lined up that we think you're going to enjoy. Uh, Tim, you're all right. We're recording this, by the way, on uh, the 2nd of April, which is Good Friday. Yes, yes. Oh, is that, I'm positive, cause I just paused for effect. Yeah, just throw in some uh, Good Friday stuff. Yeah, well, it's a nice sunshiny day. It's supposed to be gray and hurricane and locusts usually on Good Friday. Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll take a nice day. So Good Friday uh, is when... Uh, uh, Jesus uh, was, uh, you know, can you say crucified? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just quoting the Bible. Sunday, uh, I though, go with executed. But okay, whatever. but you know, I don't understand why is it? It wasn't that great for him. Sorry, it's misnamed. Oh. Not so good. Friday would be my suggestion. And then, of course, everyone knows Sunday is the day that he uh, comes back. People never talk about Saturday, though. And I have a theory about what happened on Saturday. Should we go into it? Or sure. Best to just, just trust me. Oh. So Saturday, my theory. <laughs> I was think it was just don't worry. Not I'm, not, there, I'm, not, but... I'm not making this up as I go along. Saturday, my theory's always been that the apostles are like, well, I guess that's it. And so they threw up Jesus's stuff on like Facebook Marketplace. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, because they don't know. They don't. At the time, there's just a guy. It's, it's, it's thousands of years ago. They didn't know. So Sunday, Jesus comes back and he's like, hey, guys, I'm back. And the apostles are all like looking down going, oh, so Jesus. They sold his rangefinder, and uh, you know his, uh, his Scotty Cameron's gone. He's like, "Where's my Scotty Cameron? Not my Scotty Cameron, you guys!" And they're all like, "Jesus, we didn't know his earbuds are gone." There you go. That's a joke. I, by the way, I've been doing that joke so long, guys, that originally it was uh, on Saturday the apostles had a garage sale and sold his Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, there you go. Boys eight track. <laughs> like, you know, Mike, it all it worked every year that I've been doing that joke, and Fred always kids me because he's like, I can't wait for you to do the garage sale joke. I go, dude, it's Kijiji, and then it was this year it's Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> all right. So let's um Tim, why don't we why don't you do the honors? He's a friend of yours, um, and uh, and your and your swing coach. So why don't you tell us who this sweet gentleman is? Yeah, yeah, we're delighted to have Mike Martz on the show. Uh, Mike is, um, well, he works officially out of the Ontario Golf Academy at Whistle Bear in Cambridge. He's one of Canada's top coaches, uh, um, fellow coach of a university team with the, the Waterloo men's team. I coach the University Guelph team, and uh, he was one of Mo Norman's best friends, and Helped me enormously in uh, the second edition of writing my book. So uh, I just Andy's also been working with me for a couple of years. So I just thought, oh, what the heck? Let's get Marcy on the show and at the beginning of the year and talk about some things like you know how people can prepare for the for the season and different things like that. So pleasure to have Mike on the show. Thanks, Tim. Always great to be with you guys. Like this um, is number four, I think, with us. We, I was thinking that yeah. it's not the first yeah. time we've we've it, it, early on. Mike was a big supporter of ours and was gracious enough to lend us some time. You know, early on before the sensation that became Swing Thoughts, you were like, "I'll just go with these guys." <clears throat> anyway, I'm kidding. Um, we're gonna have a compilation coming out at Christmas. <laughs> <I think. laughs> That's right. Mike Mart's appearances on Swing Thoughts. Give it this Christmas for the golfer What's he in wearing your, now. In the for the golfer in your family. Yeah. Friend hey, of show, different level. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. we don't often talk about the mechanics of the swing. We Once in a while, we'll get into it. Was, you know, we talk about the mental performance side, which encompasses a lot of things. But um, let me ask you philosophically, what do you think? Uh, do you recommend golfers work on their games in the off season? And then try and take what they've worked on in the off season to the season, or is summer the best time to work on some new moves or to to clean up a couple of things? Well, Howard, typically, I, I you know with the players that I work with, we like to do technical stuff in the winter, so that when they're in the summertime, when when tournament season starts, when playing time starts, that they're not thinking swing but thinking playing. So, you know, I would say in the wintertime, we want to we want to understand what the chess pieces do. And then once the snow melts, we take the chess pieces to the board and see what we can do with them. So, you know, I think where a lot of players like and I don't know if anybody ever really gets to that point where they're not thinking about swing. I mean, I don't care if you're Tiger Woods or wherever you are in the PGA Tour. You see them, they miss the shot. They're standing over the side. They're fooling around. They're looking at their their backswing or whatever it is. So I'm not sure we ever get to that point. I think Mo was the only guy I ever knew that we got to that point that just simply look from A to B and hit it from there, hit it from one to the other. But, you know, I think that we want to work on that technical stuff again, if we can in the winter time. And, and that being said, I think if you're going to work on your swing in the winter, you have to have feedback, some pretty viable feedback. So if you're just whacking balls into a net, I mean, I call that exercise. If you're, if you're getting feedback as to how you're delivering the golf club, so you don't all of a sudden you, you hit balls all winter in your garage and then you get out and you've developed this massive slicer hook that, you know, just looked pretty good at eight feet in your garage. <laughs> That's so, right. You know, I think I think you've got to have good feedback with that to know that you're, you know, you're working on, you're trying to work on what you think you're trying to do. And then in the spring, you you know, you pull the sheet back and see what happens. But, you know, uh, yeah, definitely work. But summertime, I think you just want to go out and see, I mean, 
shoot the best you can, go and try to play and post the score and work your game, a little short game and stuff, but not sitting there worrying about your, your right elbow all summer long where it is. So what's the stuff that a, a golfer should look at? I mean, if it starts to go off the rails a bit, where do you where do you look? Is it, okay, things like ball position, posture, or position of right elbow? Yeah, well, are you talking in-season? Yes. Playing? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're playing and it goes off the rails a little bit, I think you just have to be able to – hopefully you, you, you're at a point where, you know, if you've been coached that you learned how to critical think and problem solve a little bit so you can look at your ball flight and say, okay, you know, what might have caused that? And, you know, you and I, I and mean, we probably talked about this before, I think with most people it's like the summer of George when they get out there. I mean, whatever they think they need to do is probably the opposite. <laughs> just, so, I'm sorry. I just was like thinking about what you're saying golf wise. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I get that reference. Um, yeah. Please continue. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times what we figure like if we're kind of cutting it to cutting it and then we get a crosswind from the left. Well, we figure we got to fire it more to the left because of the crosswind and we curve it more rather than having actually the club path to the right with the face a little close to that. So, you know, we, we have to be able to make sure that we know what we want to do. And, you know, then to try to get ourselves back on. That's interesting you went there because uh, I want to relate an experience that I had with you. I think that was last week. So I'm at the at the academy with you. We got that right to left wind coming and I'm trying to hit these cuts and I'm typically aiming to the left. And it was just interesting how it was working with you. You're saying, hey, Tim, because of that wind, why don't you aim at the flag? And what it occurred to me was that my attention was focused more sort of internally where, where I was aiming as opposed to responding to what the environment was dealing me and how I had to respond to it. So my question to you is, is how much do golfers, I, I think there's a default to, you know, here's what I need to do. I did this last Monday, so I'm going to do it today. How much do you think golfers need to kind of look outside, sort of outside of themselves, you know, and, and really respond to weather and conditions? I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think that was I think that was what we you know we discussed a little bit was I mean inside because obviously we're hitting from inside out, so we're in a pretty stable environment inside, and then as soon as it leaves that garage door, you're at the mercy of Mother Nature. So I mean, you have to take that into a you know that's the big thing, and when you're standing there, taking that into account, and, and a lot of golfers just neglect that, especially if they're playing at places that aren't really tree lined, and or they can see a tree bending, and they're playing linksy style golf where they can't really see what the wind's doing, that they get fooled quite a bit by the external stuff. So I, I think you know once we have a reasonable skill set, we have to really just look at I mean, what are we given elevation changes, wind changes, ground conditions, whatever it happens to be take those factors into account and then try to execute the shot that that's appropriate. And then, you know, that being said, unless we've never executed the appropriate shot, it's hard for us to do that as well. Um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about how people approach the beginning of a new season. You said the summer of George, every golfer, you know, has this, uh, kind of honeymoon period every year you know timmy's playing his first round tomorrow i've already played a couple of rounds and i used to think wow man you know you get out there at the beginning of the season everything seems possible you know it's like one great long first tee just feel great to be alive and outside and and it's almost like your mistakes and faults and things you do <laughs> shitty haven't really haven't caught up yet you know you just your your head's very clear is there something in that in that kind of just you know, being in the present, not worrying too much about technique. Is there a way to kind of bring that forward sort of philosophically with us through the season? 
Yeah, I, th- I think with a lot of people when they go out the first time or two is because expe- expectations are very low. Like right. they, maybe they haven't played or, you know, especially this winter, if nobody's been away, um, you know, whatever it happens to be. And you go out and you say, well, you know, probably the greens are going to be lousy and the ground's going to be wet and it's going to got three layers on. Well, it's probably not going to be great today. So then, you, you know, you get, you played some pretty good shots early in the year. And then all of a sudden you think, well, okay, I, I've got this kind of figured out. Now it's going to go linearly straight up in the air from here. And then we started expecting to do something. And then, you know, we get down that downward spiral again. But, you know, I think if we could carry that through and just say, like, every time you go out, just, okay, whatever I get today, I'm going to get. But you know, as, soon as, you, as soon as you hit some decent shots and you think that that's going to perpetuate itself, I think we go down. Well, you start thinking, you start thinking, this is the year I've got this. This is my best year ever. And what I was trying to get at is that, you know, just as I think it's tough to ingrain new habits in golf. Uh, I would, if I were instructor uh, instructing me, I'd say, you know, whatever you have, you have. But you might want to work on those things like ball position and aiming and relating to targets. And and something you said about what you were doing there with Tim, I think a lot of golfers uh, don't understand the difference between a proactive and a reactive sport that we're playing. And the reactive part, my theory, and I'm curious what you guys think, the reactive part is you're reacting out there. Because you, a lot of us are so internally focused on what we're doing motion-wise that we forget the wind's howling right to left. And, and you better be relating to target and external forces versus trying to, you know, worry about how the engine's whirling. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, you know, I think we're just, we're just so trained in the golf culture that it's all about swing. Mm-hmm. It, has to, it has to look a certain way. I mean, we have to you know, do certain things in order to be effective. And I mean, you can play, I mean, we've all played with, with people that look like some pretty funky moves that, that take our five bucks when we're done. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because they hit something that's predictable and they don't expect anything more. So if you get a, you get a guy that you go out with a, you know, a 75 year old guy that hits this 25 yard slice with every shot. And by the time you know it, he's, he's shot 78 and he's supposed to be an 18. <laughs> That's he, right. He, he's hit. A, he's hit every shot with the exact same curve on it, and has never expected or tried to do anything different. So he just uses what he's got and does. You know, learns how to score the best he can with, you know, what he brings. So I mean, there's a lot to be said said for that. For you know, for us trying to, you know, thinking coached into the feeling that straight hitting is good hitting. Yeah. Well, the thing that that's really come to the fore for me, working with you, Mike, and just sort of my own research and work with my own clients is is that we is understanding that the default is so much to yeah internally thinking about the golf swing doing it correctly etc whereas in fact what we're doing it's a target game like as as howard said it's all about responding to what's out there and if we're not responding to to what's out there then how can you expect to score because you're not gonna it's all about What's the wind going to do to this? The slope, the amount of precipitation, all that kind of stuff, and and like we adapt to to that. I mean, we've had Ed Collins on, our friend from Ireland. He talks about adaptability. That's what golf is: is that we're presented with this challenge, and then how do we adapt to it? So you can put a great golf swing on something, but you know, if you pulled the wrong club and you're aiming in the wrong spot, it's all for naught, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, you know, if you look at, and, and even what we talked about before, if we trace it back, even if you're making something that's pretty repeatable and giving you a fairly consistent result, and then for whatever reason, uh, you know, you get your prescription changed on your glasses, 
And then you show up the next day and you've got the ball position a half inch or an inch back or an inch forward to where it used to be. I mean, even if Iron Byron, if you set him up and you change his tee position, Iron Byron's going to hit some big slices and hooks too and hit some balls offline. So, you know, sometimes you just have to trace back, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't hit balls through the winter and you start in the spring and it's a little funky. And then sometimes you just have to look at some of those, uh, you know, the static position, the, the ball position a little bit, because it certainly is going to affect where the ball's launched. So sometimes it's just a simple little movement like that. that you, oh yeah, there we go. And, you know, and off we go again, Yeah. rather than thinking that, oh my gosh, it's, it's offline. And, and, you know, what have I done? And, and, you know, I better go somewhere because this is broken. Jack Grout, who worked with Jack Nicholas, <clears throat> famously, you know, in those days of the tour, the, the guys would stop golfing in November and then wouldn't really go back to work until January. And famously, Jack Grout used to just set Jack up. Um, and all they worked on was grip, ball position, aiming, all the basics. Because, and I think a lot of players, even guys at a high level that come to see you, Mike, they always think it's somewhere in this, you know, murky mechanism that we have. But a lot of times, as you just said, you know, they're not set up correctly. But for some yeah. reason, golfers shy away from that because it's sort of boring. Yeah. I mean, I had this conversation with somebody just yesterday, actually. And, you know, we, we got you got set up and he wasn't aimed correctly and pretty good player. And, you know, I said, well, I mean, if this was a gun and you were trying to shoot a, shoot a turkey and you were aimed 15 yards to the right of that turkey, you're never going to hit it. So and, and nobody misaims on purpose. But, you know, I think even the more we play, we sort of neglect that ball standing behind it and, and lining it up and get around. We just sort of sidle up to it and wiggle our feet a couple of times and figure that, OK, <laughs> maybe, right. maybe we put that, you know, the we've the, gone through the, the motion, the old cl- club across our hip and see where that's aiming. Yeah, well, that's so um, boring. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It is. And then and then fire it. But if, if we're going to miss aim and like I said, nobody misaims on purpose. Eventually, what you're going to do is you're not going to change your aim, but you're going to change your swing to to make up for being misnamed. And then now we've got curvature and crookedness and craziness. So, you know, it's just such an important part, that static part. I mean, it puts yourself in a position to succeed. And I mean, if you don't, I mean, you better be a pretty good manipulator. And, you know, uh, um, you know, one of the other things you, you talked about is that I, again, when I talked to players, I said, well, what were you thinking on this swing? Well, this swing was only a compensation for the previous miss. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. So if you fanned it right, well, you're going to aim the same way, but now you're going to flip the till. So now you miss just as far left just as dysfunctional but it wasn't a slice you know i don't think i've ever asked uh, you guys this and mike was a as you say a very good friend of mo norman's but you know all, all three of us have seen him hit balls up close but i, I don't think i've ever asked uh, this question which is what did mo think about the aiming process because you you watch him and it seemed almost that he just looked and hit it I'm, I'm going to jump in and give yeah. my best guess, but I think Mike knows more than me. I thought that Mo was all about target, react to target. It was just like, and, and there it is, go. <laughs> and um, the best example I saw of that was I played with him in Neck Westlock at Brantford. And this round of golf, Mo's hitting like every, every fairway, every green, just automatic. Then we get to this par four which is a short par four and he hits into a valley so he doesn't lay up short of the valley he goes into the valley so now he cannot see the green or the flag and he hits this shot that goes long and left it was the worst shot i ever saw mo hit and i thought that's because he didn't respond to the target Mm -hmm. mike how do you i don't know just 
What's your yeah, version well, of, you know, of what Mo did? He, he sort of sidled up to it. I mean, he didn't have sort of the, this, the pre-shot routine. He never, ever stood behind the shot, looked at it. I mean, he pulled the club from his bag. He sidled up from the side. He pulled both sleeves up on his long sleeves, pulled both sleeves up. He's got the legs wide and then looked and smashed it. But yeah, he did. All he did was react to target. Like he, he would say, you know, with his driver, I'm going to hit it at that cloud. I mean, that's, so everything was out. Everything was external with him that way. Uh, and I know the hole you're talking about, Brandon, probably is nine. He probably knocked it, tried to knock it at the green, knocked it down the hill. And yeah. I mean, I see, I saw him hit a lot of shots like that too. And his eyesight got bad near the end. And, you know, he hit right. it right at the flag, playing a scramble with him. He'd hit it right at the flag and be 10 yards short of the green. And he'd still want to play that shot. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm, saying, um, oh, I'm on the green. Yeah, but I hit it right at the flag. Let's play this one. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I guess kind of one the story, share the story about what Mo would say to you about Cataractway. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, years ago there when I was, you know, was hitting at a decent distance, he would say, you know, you should come up with me and play Cataraqua. You could drive it on like, you know, like four of the par four greens, no problem. And I said, oh, yeah, well, so how long are the par four? He's like 320, except they're 320 and they're eight yards wide. <laughs> you know, so he just thought that, well, if you could hit a 320, why wouldn't you just pull your driver out and knock it on the green here, right? Like he never, I don't think he ever really, I mean, he saw how bad people, you know, played in relation to the way he hit it. Yeah. But I don't think he ever thought that, like, why would you ever dealt your skill set? If you could hit it that far, why wouldn't you just tee it up? And like the price and DeChambeau, right? If you can hit it there, try to hit it there. That's, I mean, that's sort of what he's trying to do right now, right? I mean, we can uh, finish off. Before we let you go, we can maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what your thoughts are on, you know, the modern game. It's a big topic on uh, social media the last few months about, you know, is our distances wrecking the game and blah, blah, blah. But I was kind of getting at, when I asked you about how Mo set up and how he related to Target. And those are great stories, but I just wonder, did he have any, did he ever share any of his ideas around? Because I know Mo would often talk about, you know, you know, we have the, what he did through the ball, best swinger, all this. But did he, did, he, did he have a theory about that or just he just was instinctively set up the correct way? Because the rest of us, you know, it's a constant struggle to make sure for better players that we're not aimed too far right. It's, it's something I think right. of all the time. Because in my case, if I'm aimed too far right, I tend to hit pull hooks. Because instinctively, mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull it back to the target. Yeah. Yeah, and he did. I mean, he did aim right and swung left. I mean, that was sort of his movement with the way he had the ball way far forward like that and the club behind it. But he just the face was so stable that he never did hook it like that. But right. No, I think just after, you know, the, the amount of balls that he hit <laughs> exactly. and millions, golfers, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what you would say to most golfers anyways, is that no matter what you do, it has to be what does it feel like to you, no matter what it looks like. So, I mean, he would just get up to it and. Like I, I never, I don't, I don't think I ever, ever saw him stand behind, like behind a shot and and think about what do I want to do with this. And I mean, he didn't even he, he like when you when I play with him at Royal Oak. I mean, he did like you know Tim play with him there. He always carried his bag, and then he would just kind of put his bag down to the left, pull a club based on the distance, and he didn't even really appear to be sort of ever throw grass in the air or anything like that. It was just he just pulled the club. He looked at the target, turned, pulled it out, and probably within within. 10 seconds, he'd sidled up and pulled the trigger. So it just seemed like everything for him, I don't know if he was just like a supercomputer and took everything in as he's walking, maybe why as he's walking to the ball, he's assessed all that um, in his own way, but he never really, there was, there was nothing about sort of premeditated anything. It was just pull like pull the, pull the, uh, the, the arrow out of the quiver, yeah. put it in the, in the air of the bow and pull it. So you're, oh, yeah. you make your living helping people get better at this game. You're a golf instructor, a head coach, as we said, and a mentor to a lot of good players. 
But I would wonder, you know, someone didn't you know, like uh, we're, all of us or the three of us on this show are all into golf and we think about it. I'm hitting golf balls in the winter and I'm working on my game. But for people that didn't, the golf season starting now, uh, club link courses are opening tomorrow, 43 days earlier than last year. And um, so an average person listening going, oh, geez, I, I didn't work on my game all winter. What could you, as a, as a mentor, a coach, as a, a professional, what would you want them to start maybe working on, getting their golf muscles back, warmed up, you know, for the average player who's going to go out in the next few uh, weeks and, and play for the first time? Yeah, well, certainly I think you have to make sure that, I mean, your body's got to be ready to play, even though if we don't think golf is a real sport, if you're going to carry your bag or walk or, or you know, swing a club 100 times at a maximum speed, I mean, your body's got to be able to accommodate that. So you have to... I mean, I don't think it's, it's a bad thing ever to be in better shape for everybody. Um, then, then I think with most players, what they have to do is they have to, is, is this, if they're starting from, from square one today, is, is if they really play the game, and I don't know of anybody that just, they, they say they just play the game for fun or just to walk around. I mean, I'm not sure that's what fun exists. What? There's yeah. fun? Yeah, I don't think that person exists, to tell you the truth. Everybody <laughs> is, is measuring themselves somehow. So I think you have to sit down and say, okay, well, like, you know, really, what, realistically, what my, my goals be this year? I mean, what do I want to try to do? And then and then try to look at your game and see how you can best achieve that. Yeah. What, what parts have to be better if you want to, if you want to you know, shoot better scores? Yeah. The, the word I like to use is which, what are your intentions? And you could break that down to what's, what's my intention for the season, for, for the month of April or, or May, and what's my intention for today? And if, it's, if I go out and say, you know, this is my first round or first, second round, I'm going to have fun. I'm just going to be happy. I be, you know, it's great to be out with my mm-hmm. buds. Yeah, you're going to, you know, if you hit some squirrely shots, you might get a little bit upset. But I think if you go in that overall intention, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the first game of the year. I'm just going to have some fun. Well, especially with lockdowns and all these different things going on, I think some people have some different ideas about what they want to do now. There's a lot of new players and yeah. and families playing together and, and so on and so forth. So maybe golf has... And maybe at this time become a little more social than mm-hmm. than grinding. So... You know, it could be a little bit different perspective there, too. Yeah, of all the things that happened in the uh, month of March 2020 uh, that you could have sort of gotten your head around the last 13, 14 months, um, I would have not. I, I don't think I could have predicted or we could have predicted the engagement in the game of golf, both by players already into the game and, as you say, new players and maybe enjoying the game for different reasons. Uh, given the state of the world and the state, you know, just it, it, the, we're recording on April 2nd, as I mentioned, and, you know, we're going into another four week lockdown. And so golf can kind of provide maybe a respite for that. And might maybe in a weird way, we might all take it a little less seriously, considering, you know, the escape that it affords us. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's so many players have. Uh, you know, I don't know how many players I'm working with right now that just started the game last year and all of a sudden went from like, I don't know of anybody that really they either love or love golf or hate it. There's nobody in between. I don't think <laughs> it either drives you insane or you hit a decent shot and you're hooked. So, I mean, if there's all kinds of players we've got right now that went from zero to playing like five times a week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the big thing for the golf business is, I mean, after this is all done, are we still retaining those people and are they hooked on the game? So, I mean, I guess time will time will only tell with that, but. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are have uh, you know avid players, even people who've you know grinded on their game, and are, are finding that there's a there's kind of a different vibe in golf. I think a little bit around okay, I 
I'm, I'm out of my house now. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this thing with my friends. Isn't this great I'm able to do this? And I think a lot of people just have a, a little lighter attitude towards the game. But one thing I noticed last year with a couple of really good players, uh, Mike, one of your players who, who went from playing for the University of Waterloo team turned pro. I remember talking with him early last year. I says, how's your game going? And he goes, great. I'm playing some of the best golf of my life. And and he's saying because between work and the lockdown, he couldn't practice. So all his stuff was just going out and playing golf. So he wasn't fixating on positions or doing this right or doing that right. He was just going out and playing and hitting shots and having a great time. And, and I went, wow, there's a good lesson in that about you know not fixating on am I doing this right? Am I supinating when I should be pronating, et cetera? Yeah. It was, it was interesting too like even last year i know with like with the performance teams like team ontario junior teams like they couldn't get in gather indoors and have their team practices well charles works with uh with them as well right mm-hmm. charles Fitzsimmons, yeah charlie everybody. yeah so i mean they they what they had to do is they had to really go out and play like just enforce them and play so a lot of that individual swing grinding time was more okay we're just going to go play and it would have been interesting to see sort of what scoring averages were last year mm-hmm. with the team in comparison to the year before when all they did was say, okay, we're just going to we're gonna allocate a lot more time to just physically going around the golf course and figuring this game out rather than in that stable environment just seeing if we can strike perfect shots. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Mike Martz, uh, before we let you go, first of all, thank you again. All the best and stay safe. But I just, I'm curious because, you know, Tim's been talking about working with Martz and I, I've had the... Uh, the pleasure of hitting some golf balls with you as well. I'm just curious, what is going? What what are we working on in the <laughs> Tim O'Connor golf motion? Because he and I are going to play golf, I'm sure, in the next month. I want to know what to look for, Mike. Well, we do a lot of kumbaya. You know, <laughs> just, we, so you, you guys we, do we, smudging. We and I think the other day I did. I had to throw some pixie dust up. I think didn't I? Uh, you guys little, like light some sage there a little bit, and we had a. We had a pixie dust it down. That's yeah, funny. Well, after you, you know, after you we, sit around yeah. and we say like, you know, what would Gabrielle Wolf do? Wolf do? No, I just see the two of you sitting cross-legged on a blanket, you know, yeah, with sage and a little light yeah, fire in the background, some zamfir perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing like a good pan flute. Nothing like a good pan flute. Come on, tell us one thing. Because here's the thing. I play with O'Connor, and I, you want to talk about a setup. I've said this a thousand times. When I watched him stand to a golf ball, he just looks like a guy that's ready to hit a good shot. He just does. And I've said it. He has such a great setup. He looks, to my untrained eye, he looks like he's ready to hit a good shot. So um, is there one thing from the O'Connor uh, the worksheet that we can all learn from. I'm feeling so exposed right now. Well, you know what? I, I don't really think we've actually talked about anything, so I'm not sure I'm justifying my pay anywhere. All right. But we just, we're just, you know, I'm the spiritual leader, Howard. Like you said, you're the spiritual leader. I'm, I'm golf spiritual, spiritual leader. leader, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So he's doing a good job, though. You, you wait till you get out there and he's feathering that fade around this year. Okay, I will. There it is. I could just see Martz and O'Connor together. There's, not, there's no clubs. They're just looking at each other deeply in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. Let's Stabilize the club face, young grasshopper. Stand off in the wild west. <laughs> <laughs> Take the pebble from my head. That's right. Never drew first, but I drew first. <laughs> when you can snatch the grip from my five iron. <laughs> yeah. Mike Martz, thank you very much. What a pleasure, my friend. What a guy. 
Uh, Marcy, we appreciate it. Just let yourself out of the Zoom Thanks, room there. All right. See you next week. Yeah. See you guys. I love the fact that he wouldn't uh, tell us. He's like, I'm not telling you what I'm working on with O'Connor. All right. That's, that's, confi- that's client confidentiality. I get it. I get it. He's not a Hank Haney. All right. Uh, All right, da, da, Thanks, Mel. Um, yeah, have fun. The 2021 TaylorMade uh, line of clubs, man. I uh, We've talked about getting fitted. And what an experience. There's the uh, Sim 2 driver. The drives every golfer wants to hit, Tim, and no golfer wants to follow. You've seen the commercials. The all-new Sim 2 driver only from TaylorMade. First, they changed the shape of the driver. Now, the way it's constructed. The all-new Sim was built differently around a forged aluminum ring. Did you know that, sir? I did. Yeah, I read the stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> important to know this. You're, you're, you're like, I have the same copy sheet. You do visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more. And uh, don't forget the Sim 2 Iron's unique cap back design will give you more forgiveness and more distance more often. TaylorMadeGolf.ca and uh, we uh, are lucky to be uh, also associated with JW Apparel. Very soon you're going to see Timmy and I wearing some of the timeless fashion for the golf lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Yeah, man. Oh, is that why you got the kind of the uh, nice jazzy... Little jazz, little steely, steely Dan. Dan. Yeah, man. Yeah. Jonathan Wong Apparel. JW Apparel. Inc.com, all kinds of brands that uh, JW uh, features. Really, some of the coolest stuff in golf. Uh, Fairway and Green, Zero Restriction, B Dratty Garb, EPNYPRG, and Royal Albatross. All part of the Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc. line of golf clothing. This year, your friends, Humble and Tim, going to be looking good. Oh my God, yeah. Because this stuff folks is just next level yeah, in man. terms of fit uh, construction oh my gosh it's this is re- i'm really excited to to be uh to be wearing some of this stuff this year it's gonna be it's, we're gonna look good feel good all that stuff you know they say you can't buy a game but you can if you buy TaylorMade and jw <laughs> wong not only will you be able to buy a better game but you'll look like you play better uh, all right, season six of uh, Swing Thoughts. I had a couple things I wanted to throw at you. I read an interesting book, and kind of a fun book. I, uh, it's a, by a character named Tom Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E, who became a, he's a travel writer, golf writer. You may have heard of him. I just want to recommend this book. It's called uh, Paper Tiger. And it's a play on uh, when we were younger, Tim and I, there was this golf writer that I loved, and I'm sure you must have read some of his stuff named George Plimpton. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and Plimpton was famous for putting himself in the milieu of the sport he was covering and the most famous book of his was called Paper Lion. Right. And he went basically with the cooperation of the Detroit Lions sort of semi tried out for the football team. And he wrote about a uh, uh, what it was life was like in training camp and, and, you know, the world of the professional football player. So Tom Coyne wrote a book called Paper Tiger about trying. He he was a decent player as a kid. 
And at the time he wrote this book, 15 years ago, he was in his late 20s, and he'd gone, you know, he'd gone from being sort of a, a single digit to about a 12 handicap. And he had this idea, what if I went to Florida and spent a year trying to get ready for Q school? This was around, around wow. 2003 or four. So the whole book is all the things he did and, and, you know, his fitness, his golf instruction, and his tournament play. And he went from being about a 12 handicap to a scratch in a year. Now, to be fair, he started when he was a kid. He was already like a low single digit. But it's interesting because he had a team. He, he got this. He got Jim Suddy, Dr. Jim Suddy, to be his swing oh, coach. Yeah. He got Bob Winters to be his mental performance coach. A guy who works at the Ledbetter Academy. And it was just it's one of those golf reads that, you know, there's lots of good to take away from it. But overall, it was just interesting to see. He, like how, he kept track of how many balls he hit, how much weight he was losing. And in the end, he was still shitty. <laughs> it's the point. Like, it, he, he, never, he, he, he never got to Q school. He, he, uh, he went to the Canadian Q school. He went to the Latino America Q school. And he went to the Australia Asian Q school. And, and his scores were horrendous. Like, at his everyday play, he could shoot par. But in tournament play, he never shot better than like 79 or 70. And he had a lot of 90s. But it's a fascinating glimpse into that world. And I only recommend it because it's just a, it's a fun read. But like I say, it's very Plimpton-esque. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of put yourself... He, he immersed himself in the world of professional golf. And, and certainly for someone like me, I'll just speak for myself, where you kind of think, what if I quit mm. my job and I yep. went to live at Ledbetter's house and he got me a trainer and every day I would work on my game and after a year, I would still not be any good. <laughs> you know, um, it was just good. I just found, I think for fans of ours, people that like this show, it's a, it's a great kind of get you ready for the season, but also to give you some realistic, you know, information about what life is like for guys that try and play the tour. Oh, absolutely. And I know at least a dozen guys who've tried it. Do you really? Oh, gosh, yeah. All kinds of guys who are like, you know, like, well, like not close personal friends, a bunch of them, but like Warren Sy. Like Warren Sy, one of Ontario's greatest amateur golfers. Of all time. Yeah. Nope. Can't make, couldn't make it happen. And a whole bunch of, all kinds of guys. Um, but I think that what we fail to understand when we're looking at elite athletes, elite golfers, is they have got their reps in mm-hmm. at a high level of competition. And a lot of them since they were kids, like 9 and 10 years old. Like the Justin Thomases of the world – They've been having people watch them yeah. play in the tournament forever. And to me, I'm going to ask you about what you read in the coin book about the difference from playing a casual round or even a, 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 a club tournament to teeing it up in a Q qualifying event. Like for coin, I, I'm just interested in what that experience was like for him in terms of like, because it's, it's so radically different. Um, well, I'll tell you, I was, I, I was just trying to find this part in the book where he describes the, the pyramid of golfers. Mm. And um, I, I'm not going to do this justice, but I just want to read you what he says about the guys at your club. 
He said, consider the golf greatness pyramid's base. A wide mass of good players, great players, the best ball strikers you've ever witnessed firsthand, um, et cetera, et cetera. We'll call him or her the best player you know. Maybe he's your club champion. Maybe he's neighbor's 16-year-old. Perhaps it's your boss who has the scorecard from Pebble on the wall and tells clients, shot 73, couldn't make a putt. He said... Um, <laughs> And here's the news about the best player you know. They're shit. Scratch is shit. The best player you know simply cannot play. They are the mere masses. Golf's faceless proletariat. Utterly forgettable. They are a little more than the wide sprawling base of wannabes on which the pyramid is planted. And I, and I love that because it's like, and I've said this. I've been saying this to people for years who look at me. And say, wow, you know, you're, you're really good. Why don't you try, you know, when I was in my 40s, why don't you try for the senior tour? <laughs> I'd say, do you, know how, do you know how ridiculous that is? Do you know, because I'm, I'm in the base. I'm like, some people might play with me and go, wow, he's the best guy I've ever played with. And I suck. And I know this because I've played with the guys further up the pyramid. You know, I've played with the stud amateur, the guy like Garrett Rank, who's the best player in the country. I've played with Robert Dameron, a guy who played on the PGA Tour. So I know where I rank in that pyramid. But I love how he breaks it down because, you know, something about golf makes us believe that if we just had a break, man, we could be that guy. Yeah, but life isn't a Hollywood movie. Exactly. It's it's the hard reality of golf, but you know it, I love that. What great writing! Yeah, he's a good writer. I, I love that. Um, but it's all relative, man. I mean, you know, it it really is. It's it's all relative. Um, like for a player like you, you're like a you know, zero one handicap. Um, you know, to the average person, like you're the closest they're going to see to it to playing with a tour pro. Yeah. But so for them, you know, who are like every shot is a mystery, <laughs> you know, well, what are we going to pull out, out of the hat this time? No, I know. You know, but um, no, but it's just it just underscores how amazing golfers are who play this game for a living. Yeah. Yeah, later, I, I would say, I, I won't bore you with that when he describes the very, very best players, because it's really something. But, you know, you've spent time in Florida. You've been around the game a long time. You spent time with one of the best golf ball strikers that will ever hit a golf ball. So you know what a good player looks like. And the, the, the thing about golf is, between guys like me, the club guy that's won a few things, and then the next level of guys, you know, that are nationally ranked junior amateurs, etc. And then you keep going up, and these are the guys that were on the nationwide or the whatever they call it now, and they're bouncing back and forth. The problem with golf is a 10 handicap occasionally can hit a shot like a tour player. Absolutely. And, and I can occasionally put a round together like a very good amateur, but, you know, I've had the <laughs> terrifying, you know, ex, you know or, or sort of humbling experience of being on the range at the uh, Scottish Open seeing Henrik Stenson and Rory McIlroy and Fowler and and uh, whatever up close and you're thinking I don't make that's not the sound my golf ball makes <laughs> you know oh, yeah, my club well, doesn't swing like that well one of the best stories uh, that 
conjures that up is uh, Mike Weir. Mm-hmm. First time he played in the Canadian Open, he got a slot on the range at the Abbey beside Nick Price. And he, and he went, oh, my gosh. No. I don't make that sound. I'm not good enough yet, he said. Yeah, that, that was quite amazing. I think the, what's interesting, uh, a thing that I've come to understand is, like, is, is my theory anyways, is and why are some players or people execute better at some things than others? Mm-hmm. I, say it's, I, I say it's largely around awareness. You know, why, why are you a better broadcaster than me? Because you have a higher level of awareness. You've got like, I won't count the years. <laughs> yeah, you can, 44. Okay, you got so much more reps in. So you've been through all these different situations, which I like every once in a while because we do this, you know, in season once a week. We do it six years, but that doesn't. That's like just nothing in comparison to forty-four years of like Monday to Friday, you doing this thing. So you got this higher level of awareness. So anyone who does anything at an exceptionally high level has has just so much more awareness. Mm And it's like even like silly example, but so I play in a punk band, and so our band, which by the way, I is one of my favorite things about you. I want you to know that. <laughs> I whenever I see pictures of you playing the bass with your punk devils or whoever you guy, I just think that is so great. So please continue. Well, thanks. It's fun, but so we started. We didn't play for about three months because of lockdown. We've played four practices on Monday. And so, but tunes that we have been playing since we started, like two years ago, like we just picked them up just like that, mm-hmm. and it's seamless. And when we're playing it, I'm just noticed like there's a no zero tension. There's near, there's zero thinking of okay, count. Why have you done this? Is this riff six times, seven times, eight times? There's none of that. Mm-hmm. We just know it, and so. When you play, so it's from a high level of awareness, having got our reps in and just done it and feel it. So we have it in our bodies. And I say that anyone who executes at a high level has just done this thing mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So when you're, you know, when you're comparing ourselves, mere mortals, to the guys on the PGA Tour, just know. And, and that's why the whole stri- striving for perfection thing in golf culture is so destructive. The average person can't master some technical move in never mind a lesson or a week or a month it takes so much time yeah so I, that's I, why uh, anyways I'm well no i love what you said there about awareness and 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 you know that i think one of our guests but i either read this or was a guest on our show but awareness being curative and i think i've said that yep. i feel like i said it recently um there's something about I don't. I guess it's again back to what I say about golf. There's a there's a magic to it that we can occasionally reach or feel or you know execute something at a really at a higher level than we are at, and it it in, it's intoxicating and it's like a drug. You know, my older brother who's been on on my show on our show here, who's a psychologist, talks about this dopamine response mm-hmm. of 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 a good shot and what it does, how it fires this reaction in our brains that makes us think that that's achievable all the time. And, you know, it gets back to why we've been doing this show for six years, because, you know, golf is chaos. Golf isn't a linear line. And, you know, um, 
it, it's it's uh, it's hard because we because we want that. It's a craving. It's what Jonathan. It's what uh, what's his face uh, Judson Brewer was talking about the craving aspect oh, yeah. of golf. And it's like why I, I'm hes- hesitating is it's like a drug and it's very much so. And I have done drugs. It's a it's a um, <laughs> it's a never ending quest to replicate. Yep. Something that happens only by occasion. But the problem with the game is we just want that. Oh, yeah. And then what happens is we forget that that's not really the game. The game is hitting a bunch of shitty shots and then chipping up and one putting for whatever that score is. You know, how many times have we said this on the show? If you can get near a par four in two and chip on with your next shot, not double chip it, chip on with your third shot and your 15 footer might be par, but it's going to be bogey and it's not a double. If you do that all the time, you can break 90 every time you play. Absolutely. But it's it's your reference to drugs was so perfect because the game is so damn addictive. Mm-hmm. You know, we hit as you say you, you you on the front nine and you you're playing and maybe not playing that well, but just on, say on the eighth fairway, you just nut this eight iron. It just <laughs> yeah. feels so perfect it looks good you're holding your finish you go like oh (laughs) 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 exactly yeah you start to ascend a bit right (laughs) levitate a bit off and your your buddies go you know if you don't stop admiring your shot i'm gonna bronze you (laughs) that's right yeah you're right you're just sitting there posing and part of it is just wonder and disbelief yeah, you just you know, it's like savor the moment. Oh, yeah. thank you, God. But, anyways, so but we so want that again and again. So so then so what's the natural response? Oh, I know what I did there. Yeah. I let my right elbow fall in front of my right hip. I've got it. So the next time I have an approach shot, I'll let my right elbow fall in front of my right hip. And what happens? Doesn't work. Yeah, because. Something else, because as you're lining up for your next shot, let's say the ball's below your feet and you got shit to the right. You think, no, don't hit it to the shit in the right. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, that overcomes you and this little move you just felt doesn't work. Well, because what what happened on the eight iron that you hit, you know, that made you want to ascend. um, Our our brain wants to think of what happened when when really it was probably you were reacting to the target, the situation, your awareness, your heightened awareness had you participate in the moment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and so your swing happened naturally. And as you said, so now you think, okay, the next time I will do the same thing. But the next time it's different. The lie is different. The green's in a different spot. And, And that is why it's such a confounding exercise sometimes in futility because we can't replicate that one shot we want to i don't know what it is and i've been reading i was going to mention this new book that i got from reading the tom coin book but it's it's trying to replicate something that's not what is replica i don't even know if that's a word what you can repeat is process not outcome absolutely yeah yeah absolutely well uh, I've been, uh, speaking of books, it's so funny. I've been, I'm in, uh, like earlier in the year, we talked about a book I called, uh, that's called The Constraints Led Approach to Golf Coaching. And that's just led me down just such, uh, back into a rabbit hole of, 
of uh, external focus, Gabriel Wolf's book, um, just some other books. But the key piece being, as we were talking about with uh, Marzi there, was golf is not this thing where you're trying to make this ideal motion. It's about that you have this environment out there. That's what golf is, is responding to this environment, as Ed Collins say, solving the puzzle that's in front of us. That's what golf is, responding to it. And and like one of the things that it um so there's a study done, I forget where it was in the in the in forties or fifties, of basically um these carpenters, these guys who are really good at hammering nails, they studied their motion. They don't make the exact motion over and over again. It's always different. And the best players in the world, their swing is not in the slot. Even the great, the greatest putters you've ever seen, Faxon, Crenshaw, Tiger Woods, their stroke is different every time. But their respond, their body is responding to their intention. I'm going to hit this kind of shot. I'm aiming at this side of the hole and it gets done. It's not about flexing their left eyebrow. Well, no, I, I think what Mark and I agree with you, but what Mike said that was interesting too, is Iron Byron for you younger yeah. golfers uh, is the, uh, is a, was a famous robotic, um, golf machine that this uh, I can't remember if it was the Ben Hogan company but some company set this machine up to you know test equipment etc etc even that which has a repeatable robotic swing if you move it a certain way it will not hit the ball straight trying to hit the ball straight as my uh, mentor best friend and golf instructor Paul Henrik always says that's not no trying to hit straight shots is when will it will make you hit them crooked because there is no straight shot except for Mo yeah, and even and, he, and even Mo had a bit of a tiny draw exactly yeah the well, ball and, fell left and and did you hear Marcy say about Mo lined up right lined up right pull the club pulled it left swung yeah. the club left so my point is the and I've been a victim of this. I'm always messing around, looking in my mirror upstairs and trying to think, okay, am I doing this right? But I went out and played three times in the last 10 days. Kind of really not uh, yeah, I'm working on a little things as as everybody is, but I have have enough reps in my body. And I'm a smart enough guy now that I know if I need to hit a six iron and it's windy and I only want to hit it 150 instead of the 175, you know, I, I like, I, I'm not making a mechanical move. I'm making a, a responsive move. Love it. Because that's different than my six iron downwind that I'm going to try and draw. It's more of a little low thing, whatever. So my, and I play with guys, even recently I played with guys. You can see they're trying to make the same swing every time. And that is where I think a lot of us you know, butt heads with golf. Absolutely, because it's, well, I say this a lot, it's like making a good swing or a good stroke is completely useless. It's like, it has nothing to do with golf. Yeah. You know, but people have this thing like, well, I, I want to put a good swing on it. Really? Why don't you just sort of, okay, you, you want to hit the front of the green and let it run up and just kind of say, what does that feel like to you? Yeah. And and hit that, and because that's what it's about. It's about you got you got this thing that's in front of you. You got that kind of puzzle to solve again to use Ed's uh, metaphor, and that will your 
I say it over and over again. Your body will respond to it. I got a, one story I want to tell you. Yeah, please. Um, that connects with Mertzi. And so I've got this client, great, great player, and he goes to see he goes to see Mertzi. And they're working on hitting shots and different things. And Mike shoots some video of him and sends him the video with some of the voiceover. This is some of the great stuff that if you're folks, if you're looking for a great coach, Mike Martz, because he'll, he'll, he'll he'll send you when you're done a video of yourself with uh, an audio kind of highlights of your lesson. So you've got it. (laughs) My client looks at it and he goes like, Oh my God, I am so crossing the line at the top (laughs) of my backswing. And he goes, you can't hit shots like that. You, You just can't do it. And so he phones me and, and we kind of get in this discussion about it. And I'm saying, okay, uh, just be careful of going down that rabbit of trying to fix this. Yeah. You know? So anyways, he gets out and he plays. And first, he and his intention is to fix, is not to cross the line. And then within a couple of holes, he just screw it. I'm just hitting shots under par. He shoots under par with with like not what he would say an ideal golf swing yeah. and it was like folks because it's not about making an ideal swing you can take whatever you've got you look at the best some of the best players in the world we've ever seen Jim Furyk Lee Trevino all that you would not or even Brooke Henderson you know who's playing in a major this weekend you wouldn't say teach people how to swing that way but with with the motions they've got, and there's a consequence of being a human being, they have immense talent. And when you respond to what's in front of you, you can actually play very well. But yes, you have to have some awareness around where you're aiming. No, I, but, well, I, but, but 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 as All far as those stuff. like that player that you're working with, I mean, there again, it's it's back what you said about me as a broadcaster. Right? There's enough reps in there, you know. I listen back to the show sometime, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I should have said that. But uh, there's another show tomorrow. You know, I, I've done so many. It's like uh, it's. I was reading in this. Uh, so Tom Coyne worked with this guy named Dr. Bob Winters, who's a pretty famous mental performance coach, works with a lot of tour players. But, you know, one of the things he was saying is, uh, and now I can't remember what it was. Oh, this is uh, like Reps. High level, not not fixing your golf swing. Not fixing your golf swing. If we just, if I just go quiet, is that going to help, or should I just keep talking? How do we help each other in this? Now that we're of a certain vintage of age, do you know that our two ages combined are one hundred and twenty-five or something? (laughs) Well, I keep Um, telling people my next birthday. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me birthday? Um, It doesn't. You know what? Here is what I would say about what I was going to say. It probably doesn't really matter. before uh, and maybe before the show's over, I'll remember uh, where I was going with it because I, I also wanted to mention a couple of friends of the show and a couple of quick updates. Uh, mm-hmm. Marty Chuck, who's a buddy of mine, yeah, someone that you know, he's the guy I went to uh, his guy. I went and stayed with him last winter when I had the heart trouble in Phoenix and uh, Golf Digest named uh, Marty's Golf School one of the top uh, ten in the country. Wow. And so I, 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 something like that. It was was on a golf digest list of the best places to go to golf school. In a big uh, country like United States. In a big country. good people. And uh, Marty, who is just one of the, you know, you you recommend uh, Mike Martz. Well, I can tell you, when the pandemic finally is in our rear view mirror, 
uh, you can have a better experience and go work with Marty in Phoenix. Um, and another friend of the show, I was uh, interesting last week because I really found the WGC Del blah 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 super boring. But um, <laughs> it's tough, you know. You got four guys. You have uh, a bunch of TV to do. So I watched uh, the whatever that was, Corrales, Punta Cana. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, Joel, Damon Joel Damon won. Great guy. Really, oh, I like yeah. him. I follow him. rooting for him. Yeah, I follow him on social media. Him and Max Homa, they're all buddies. But it was cool that Mike Gligic. Uh, Had his best ever finish on the PGA Tour. Been on this show. Uh, There's a tour player that this club bum has played with. And I couldn't have been happy for him. He had a kind of a... It's a tough finish. He finished bogey par bogey to finish in a tie for fourth. But, you know, what a great kid. Tailor-made guy. And and good on him. Yeah, absolutely. I still Um, can't remember what I was going to tell you. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, I, maybe maybe what you could tell. Oh, us I, know what it was. Fight, I know what it was. I know what it was. I know what it was. Go ahead. Yeah, I remember now, but I will, I will remember. Go ahead. I was I was going to say uh, we need to find a sponsor <laughs> that has memory products because <laughs> no, we're of a certain age. No. Hum, there's some swing yeah. thoughts brought to you by Kinko Biloba. That's it. It's, yeah, it's Kinko. That's it. Kinko. It's kind of like root thing. Yeah, yeah. Howard's taking Kinko Biloba to counteract the effects of age and marijuana. Uh, what I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, what I was going to say is that um, I can listen to a show or listen back to the Humble and Fred show and pick out a thing or two that I didn't like. But what I know is that after 44 years, there's another show tomorrow. I've done thousands of them. And my point about that is to finish off the idea of expectations and tournaments and playing in your club championship And this was part of what I read in Dr. Winter's book. These guys, like you mentioned, tour players, Justin Thomas, all these kids have been playing hundreds of golf tournaments since they were seven. You know, they've been in many, many situations. So to your point about, you know, feeling it in your body and reacting to external stimuli, well, they can do that because there are very few situations in a golf uh, tournament or in a golf round that they haven't been in before and excelled and have a memory of, oh, this shot, I, this is how I play this. But it's also feeling as they're coming down in a tournament. Like we always talk about, you know, most people don't practice their short game until the night before the club championship. <laughs> but it's being in the club championship or in your Saturday morning money game. It's just not, it's uncomfortable because you haven't done it for a living since you were seven. So maybe we give ourselves a little bit of leeway. Of course, we're going to feel nervous. I've got tournaments coming up. I'm going to be maybe a little less nervous because I've done it somewhat repeatedly. But I haven't played thousands of golf tournaments, but I've done thousands of radio shows. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from doing radio shows, and you've likely had some situations. Well, let me ask you. So when you're sort of like a uh, just starting out on your journey as a broadcaster, can you, who was the? Can you remember when you went? Oh my gosh, this is a big interview. This is a big celebrity. I better not screw up. Can you? You know what was that experience like for you? Who was it? If you can remember back then. Uh, I, I, you know, that's a great question. Actually, um, I'm trying to think who would be the first time I ever interviewed somebody famous. I guarantee you, I was nervous. For sure, I was. I was on. I was 
trying to be as good as I could. It, 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 I can't remember. I wish I could. You know, maybe maybe on our next show, I'll try and think back to when that would have been. But I can tell you, by the time I got to Toronto, you know, by the time I made the, you know, the oh, biggest yeah. market in the country, I'd been doing it long enough. That I, but I was still, I, I, we would still get a little bit excited. Like, you know, the producer would say, Hey, Dave Grohl's coming in. And this was when the Foo Fighters were just starting, but he had been the, you know, the drummer in Nirvana. So he's a pretty big star. Mm-hmm. And uh, on those days when those people would come in, John Cusack, Robert Duval, Dave Grohl, I was definitely on alert, but I felt confident that they were coming into my environment and I could handle it. But I promise you, I was always a little bit, you know, it's like a, a, a golfer going to play a manger. You know, it's not like a regular interview. It's a little bit more. There's a little bit more on the line and I want to be a little sharper. But I guarantee you the first time it happened, I was uh, I was shitting my pants. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned you had a sensory experience. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's why that was the point I was going to go to. <laughs> Usually, people talk about uh, butterflies and stuff, but no, no, no I was, I was talked about. I, I'm yeah. sorry, Tim. I can't be pretend. Anyway, no, anyways, the, the thing that so that's hard for us mere mortals, it, you know, in comparison to tour players, what we don't get is that our bodies respond in different ways. When we're under pressure, but in our society, we're not we're not connected to our bodies. We're generally pretty numb because most of us live in our heads. Don't you just, see that? <laughs> Did you see me? You see the uh, signs that, drop? That Here. was awesome. Yeah, watch this. This is how I put it up. It's got Velcro. Here, hang on. There we go. That should last in the end of the show. <laughs> About maybe five seconds. No, we've, um, got to, we've got some new signs coming, so I've just Velcroed that up. But the Velcro keeps weakening and it falls. So uh, please finish your story. <laughs> I like your motion. you got some really good oh, forearm rotation there. And so you're delivering the smash factor <laughs> of that sign. is fantastic. That's right. Anyways, the point is, is that, again, it comes back to awareness. Top-level tour players and, I would say, elite amateurs – they they know what's happening in their bodies. They can react to that. So they know that in a certain situation, I guarantee you, if Garrett Rank comes to the 18th tee and he's in a national championship, he can feel that, oh, I got the butterflies are going, whatever is default, maybe, you know, hold the club a little tighter. You go, okay, that, okay, loosen your grip or whatever. Or mm-hmm. he's feeling amped up in the fairway. So maybe instead of hitting a five iron, you're going to hit a six. That's the part of the game that that's when you start to go to that level of the game, you're starting to understand. And, and, and that's where you're like it's dialing into what's happening to your body and how you connect to the target. That's golf. Yeah, absolutely. As to, that's golf instead of, oh, I've got to do this thing with my left hip. You know, I would say, and I'm going to, we should get ready to finish up here in a minute or two, but my last thought is Dr. Bob Winter's book. It's called, I have it open here. Um, Isn't that funny? (laughs) What's that, sir? It's called Mistake. It's called Mistake Free Golf. I don't like the title, but his whole do I? Yeah, it's it's. But but he 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 qualifies it very well. But basically, one of the I'm only about three or four chapters in. But one of the things that is universal, even amongst tour players, because he has a bunch of anecdotal, 
you know, uh, Nick Price and a few people talking about their the way he couches the question is, what's your big mental mistake? And it's mm-hmm. interesting. And this will relate to what you're saying about awareness. Amateurs and tour players alike. One of their big mental mistakes that we all have in common is worrying too much about what other people think of us as golfers and what that does this relates back because uh, winter's book has a lot of joe parent anyway stuff in it even at the highest level tour players would you be he'd be i was surprised by some of the players that he he talks about in the book who under pressure hit shots they're not ready to hit and I was like, wow, those guys feel the same way we do. To your mm-hmm. point about awareness, if you're on the first tee of the club championship, a lot of those nerves, obviously, you're worrying about a lot of things. But one of the things I think if you really dig not that deep, most of us are worrying about how we're going to do, how we're going to show up. What are other people going to think of me? And I can tell you from being in provincial tournaments, when I came back to golf, I didn't realize until about 2015 or 16 that they now had a scoring system where other people could see how you were doing online. You know, I've told the story about shooting 92 in the mid-am and having a a dozen messages. Are you okay? But, (laughs) But I can tell you that I really resonated with me that, that part of the key to awareness is being aware that that you don't you can't control what other people are going to think or do in golf and that's and that's why i like this book so far because he mm-hmm. talks a lot about you know making part of your process to just clear that away and the more you can be in the moment not thinking how i how i look what do people think? And as opposed to what you're saying, what's the shot here? And that's a question he always says. What's the shot here? I know others, Carl has said that. Yeah. But really, it, it really is about what Morris said. The better questions you can ask your brain, the better results you're hoping you'll, you'll probably have. Yeah, and... and- being concerned what people are going to think of us, that's not like weak character. We all do it. We're social beings. I mean, we, we, we're we in this community of other people. I mean, at, at one stage, making judgments about other people and wondering what they're, that kept us alive. Yeah. Because, you know, you saw another person from another tribe. Well, they, uh, oh, those people want to kill me. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't really serve us now. But so you're not weak to have this, totally natural, but it's how we respond to it. Again, awareness. I'm standing on the first tee, and I'm starting to think, oh, I hope I don't duff it and look like an idiot. Oh, how does that thought serve me? It doesn't. So I'll just park that. So I'll bring my attention back to, say, breathing or feeling something or just looking around. It's Mm -hmm. using our awareness to to redirect our thoughts. Yeah, and he says that. Interesting you hit on that. Because he said everyone has those thoughts. It's what you do with them. Mm-hmm. And and how you choose to either focus and get obsessed with like the first tee jitters, whether it's the club championship or a, a provincial event or just tomorrow when you play for the first time, you know, like, w- what are you thinking about? And, you know, Rotella said it back in 95, if you're not thinking about the target and sending a ball toward that, really, there's nothing else that matters in that moment of of activity. I mean, the rest of the time you can do what you want. Um, let's thank uh, Mike Martz. 
let's tell everyone to go to uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, of course, the Humble and Fred Show. Continuing on now into year uh, 10 of a, of a podcast. And, of course, thank you very much to TaylorMade Golf once again as the 2021 Swing Thoughts season gets underway. And JW Apparel, Inc., go check them out online. Uh, Any final thoughts there, smart guy? No, this is fun, I think, in terms of our... um uh, if you're looking at the swing thoughts season as a golf round, I think we got. I think we're about. <laughs> I, I'd say we're. I'd say even par. Really, it was. That no, good. I, I think so. I think we had a couple moments there, like when I, I had a bogey there when I, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't remember what I was going to say. Yeah, but I just so love that. Here's a veteran of 44 uh, years of of, uh, of broadcasting, and we get two point. Um, no idea. Tim, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And, and the funny thing is, as I was constructing the sentence, I'm. Like I don't know where this is going. <laughs> Help! <laughs> How is that different than any other show? No, I know. Well, listen, we'll see you all next week as the season is underway with a nice even par. We should do that. We should. We should rank every show at the end. I feel like we shot seventy-two, and it was and it wasn't an easy course. You know, first time no, of the year. No, no, no. All right, we'll see you next time. We're on down south, London town.